You're listening to a Share Radio podcast. A pension crisis. It's horrendous. Threatening with debt collectors and the bubble that's going to cause financial havoc. Let's talk about the speed with which we are watching this market deteriorate. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? The down traders are standing there watching in amazement. I don't blame them. Managing my money with me, Glenn Goodman. And me, Annie Weston. And him, Glenn Goodman. <laughs> and her, Annie Weston. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just a taste of the kind of hilarity you're in for if you keep listening. Oh, it's a non-stop chuckle fest here on Managing My Money. But a chuckle fest of knowledge, Annie, uh-huh. resulting in a certificate from the Open University showing how financially savvy you are. <laughs> and that is my favourite kind of chuckle fest, the kind where I get a university certificate at the end. Mine too, Annie. Mine too. Now, what were we talking about last episode, Annie? Well, if my memory serves, Glenn, you were sending me into a spiral of misery by telling me how wonderful some people's pensions are. And why would that send you into a spiral of misery, Annie? Because I'm not one of those people. I'm not a public servant with a defined benefit pension that will pay out a guaranteed amount each year when I retire, reflecting my final salary or even my average salary, Glenn. Any pension I get will reflect nothing apart from the vagaries of the market. And that, Glenn, depresses me. Well, I'm sorry you're depressed, Annie. Mm. But don't worry. Okay. Annie. Don't worry, Annie. When it seems it's not been your day, things aren't going your way. Just stand up tall and you'll be strong. Are you wondering if I wrote this and recorded it? <laughs> it actually, this time, for once, it's not me at all. Serious? This is an actual song. Yeah, this is a real song. Do you know how I found it? How? I went on YouTube and I googled Don't Worry Annie. <laughs> Don't worry, Annie. I know you're feeling so low. Kind so, of soothing. It's by this man, Jeff Michael. Oh, Jeff. Thanks. He wrote it just for you. I'm not going to worry anymore, thanks to Jeff. What if Jeff's got a pension? Jeff needs a pension yeah, quite does. desperately, I think, because as you'll see on YouTube here, how many views? <laughs> He's only got three. There have been three <laughs> listens to Don't Worry Annie, <laughs> and two of them were me, and not even his mum's heard it, only me. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jeff. Pee-wee, oh, look, it's just gone up to four listens. <laughs> Anyway, back to pensions. So using that Age UK calculator in the last episode, which was very handy, we worked out that I need to be saving more or I'm going to be working right into my 90s. God bless my soul. And since we were talking about that in the last episode, I've had a little think in the time between last episode and this episode. Is that right? In fact, I've done little else but think about your retirement plan. Excellent. 
And what concerns me is that all of that was based on the assumption that you would be with your long-term partner and that you two would be making all your plans together and that you'd be sharing your retirement income and everything would be hunky-dory. Oh, I'd like that. You know, it's always oh, nice to... <laughs> Are you about to tell me that things are going to go hideously wrong? Come because on, then, bring it some, on. You know, I'm not saying you're going to break up or something, but, you know, what if he, you know. Some kind of freak accident. Or... Could be. Oh, Could just... Glenn, I want what to touch he... a bit of wood around me. What, what if he goes on a on a day trip to Land's End and, and falls off the edge oh, of the land? I've already been to Land's End with him and that hasn't happened. So the chance of it happening again... They say lightning doesn't strike in the same place twice. So you could equally say, if he goes to Land's End again, <laughs> what are the chances he'll survive again the next time? <laughs> Sorry, Paul, if you're listening about the uh, contemplation of your imminent demise. But it's necessary in this case because many people, especially women, end up poor in retirement because of divorce or death. And they've made joint arrangements for their pension. And I say particularly women. Why? Yeah, I know. Why? Because historically, obviously, things are somewhat different now. But historically, women tended to either not work at all or work less or earn less because they were working part time. Those kinds of things. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, you know, the pension arrangements would kind of largely depend on the man's income. And then if there was divorce or death and they hadn't sort of sorted out their pension, probably hadn't accounted for it, they might end up with either no pension at all or with a pretty meagre pension. So what I'm saying is it's safer to base your calculations of how much you need for retirement on your individual income and then encourage your partner to do the same. I think I'd do that anyway, you know. Yeah, really? Yeah, just to be on the safe side. I would. I I seem to remember last time when we were doing the calculator, weren't we sort of saying, well, your partner's going to probably have this much in pension? Oh, yeah, that was an added bonus, I thought. Oh, (laughs) lovely. We'll be able to go out for that fish and chip supper on a Tuesday together. <laughs> okay, so point taken. I need to look after myself when it comes to my pension, just in case of the, you know, unexpected. So, what are my options? Your options are limited because you don't work for the. <laughs> so glad I got up this morning. <laughs> because you don't work for the public sector or you don't work for an employer no, who I offer don't. you one of these final salary pensions. Now, the, the beauty of final salary pensions for the people who get them is that quite a lot of the time they're what's called pay as you go pensions. Yeah, it's basically the money doesn't go into a fund. What happens is people pay their pension contributions over the years and they're promised a percentage of their final salary at the end of their employment time. But the money isn't going into what's called a pension pot a lot of the time. It's just a situation where the money just kind of disappears into the government's funds. And then one day the person retires and the government just has to pay them whatever out of the money that they've currently got. So the money isn't actually being saved. What happens is people end up getting paid their pensions by whoever the current taxpayers are. So it's a bit like the government have got this massive list of IOUs for people's pensions and then when their date rolls around, they have to pay up. Exactly. Hmm. But it doesn't always work that way. There are some public sector employers, like some local councils and so on, that actually do set up funds. So the pension payments that are paid in by employees go into an actual fund and sit there, hopefully earning interest, uh, maybe being invested in shares and things like that and growing the capital over the years. And then they pay out of that fund to the people who retire. Now, that's always the way that it works in the private sector. And sometimes, as I say, in the public sector as well, the money 
money goes into a pension pot. So all private sector pensions are funded. You put your money into a pension pot, employees contribute, your employers contribute, sometimes the government contributes as well, and the money goes into this fund, and then it's invested, usually by professionals, in a mixture of different investments. Cash investments, bond investments, shares as well. And the idea is that over the years, hopefully, you'll get a stream of income that goes back into that pension pot and will help it grow along with potential capital growth in the investments as well. And then when you retire, hopefully your money will have been well stewarded and you'll be able to get a nice stream of income until you die. That's the idea. I see. So effectively, you've got a caretaker of your money that tries to grow it in the best way possible until you retire. That's the idea. Got it. The problem with funded pensions is that if employers and employees don't pay enough money into the fund and the investments don't do as well as expected, then these companies end up with pension deficits. You've probably heard about these in the news at various times over the years when companies start panicking and saying, Mm. we've got a massive pension deficit, we've got all these retiring people to pay money to and we haven't got got enough money to pay them. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know. Basically, the company then has to find money from its own profits to pour into its pensions. Oh, it's all very uncertain, isn't it? It is. And it's worrying for people who have to be paid those pensions. We should all work for the government. Well, we should, is that the message? We should all work for the government. Yeah. Otherwise, you're in I deep did. trouble. <laughs> so did I. Oh, no. We both left We're the government. We're such fools. What is wrong with us? I think it's time we looked into this issue a little further. So I think we can cross now to our time-travelling correspondent, Wesley Carruthers, in the year 2035. Wesley. Hi, I'm Wesley Carruthers, here in Dorking on a windy May 10th, 2035, speaking with Jeremy Northington, ex-owner of Chill Out Grandma Retirement Homes. Jeremy Old people, baking, retirement. Talk to me. Well, Wesley, it all started with a pension meltdown in the 2020s. Of course. Nowadays, nobody retires. It just isn't affordable. So nobody was coming to our homes anymore. The grandmas can't chill no more. And could you just explain what retire means to our younger listeners? Yeah, of course. Well, retiring, it seems like a crazy concept now. But in the olden times... People used to stop working at around 60 and Ah. live off their pension. It's just incredible to think. But you've had quite an innovative response to this, Jeremy. That's right, Wesley. Unfortunately, we had to close down the retirement home business and start again. So we're putting the old people to work, baking bread. Grand's gluten-free granary grains galore. It's a huge success. Great name. Simple economics, really. The more that people work, the more energy they need, the more bread they eat, the more money we make. Perfect. Perfect. And here's your star baker, Auntie Edith. Edith, what's your story? Well, hello, dear. Yes, so ten years ago, when I was in my 60s, I I won't say how old I was because a lady never reveals her age, but suffice to say mid to late 60s, I wanted to retire from my accounting job, but my pension wasn't good enough. Then dear Jeremy here, Carol's son, he was round mine eating a sandwich and he said, you know what, auntie, he said, this is the best bread I've ever eaten. And I said, well, Jeremy, that's because of my secret recipe. And he said, well, what is your secret recipe? And I said, well, it's a secret. And he said, if you tell me your secret, I could make you rich. So I told him the pension crisis was the best thing that ever happened to me. Well, there we have it. From out of the ashes of desolation rises the phoenix of prosperity. 
I'm Wesley Carruthers. Back to you, Glenn, in the studio. Thank you, Wesley. So, things not looking so great for the old age pension in the future, then? Mm-mm. Just no, as we thought. Didn't fill me with confidence at all. <sighs> oh, well. Look, so do I need to get one of these defined contribution pensions, then? Ones that don't give me a guaranteed pension based on my previous income? Well, it is one of the main options you should consider, yes, especially if your employer will make contributions into your pension pot, because that's like having a free pay rise. Mm. And remember, from 2018, all employers have to contribute. Now, you remember we talked about auto-enrolment? I do. That's basically the new rules which will see all employees automatically enrolled into a pension scheme unless they actively opt out, right? Yeah. Typically, you'll contribute at least a few percent of your earnings. Your employer will put in at least a few percent too, more if they're generous, and the government contributes a bit as well. Well, that is good news about my employer putting money in, but still, is it really worth it? I'll have to put in several percent of my income, which I won't see again, for decades. So are there any other incentives? Yeah, the big bonus is tax relief. So instead of contributing to the pension out of your take-home pot of money, you contribute out of your pre-tax income. So effectively, you get let off the tax on that bit of income by the tax woman, who you've been so rude about in previous episodes. How have I been rude? Did I say that she dressed badly or has got loose morals? No, (laughs) I implore you to retract your statement to that effect. (laughs) Statement withdrawn. Good, because I like her now. She's given me back the tax I've paid on that bit of my income, which I contribute into my pension. Exactly, and that can be pretty significant, depending on how much you're earning and how much tax you pay. Sounds good. But say I decided to leave my job and set up working for myself. Do I have to give up all those juicy pension advantages? Well... Everything you've already contributed will sit there in the employer's pension scheme until you're old enough to cash some in or retire, or you can transfer your pension into another scheme. But if you're self-employed, you can still set up your own pension. There are stakeholder pensions for people who want their money managed by a professional, and there are self-invested personal pensions, or SIPs, for people who want to invest their own money themselves. Mm, I've heard of these SIPs. It it sounds pretty risky, though, doesn't it, if you're doing all this stuff by yourself? It does help if you know quite a lot about what you're doing before you start a SIP. Yeah, because you tend to start one through a bank, stockbroker, some kind of financial intermediary. And sometimes you can get help and advice on how to invest that money yourself. Sometimes you might just think you know enough about it and be left to your own devices and just kind of get on with it. Basically, these days, the government gives you quite a lot of leeway about how your pension money is invested. But if you don't know a lot about these kinds of things, then you should probably go to an independent financial advisor. Right. Pay them a bit of cash to give you proper independent advice. And then you'll know at least that your money is being invested in a way that's not completely crazy. Good. I was going to ask you about that. I think that's probably the way I'm heading because I don't know enough about pensions to to start setting up my own and investing it willy-nilly. But having said that, there are plenty of guides on your old internet mm-hmm. about self-invested personal pensions and how to go about investing them yourselves and that kind of thing. Because, of course, 
You want to minimise fees. That's quite a big deal with pensions or indeed any investment. The fees can very quickly rack up. They might look very small. They say, oh, we're only taking one or two percent or whatever per year. But because it's always done on an annual basis over decades, those small percentages really add up and can make a very big difference to how much money you're actually left to retire with. So you want to pay close attention to those charges. And a good way of minimising them is to get really clued up on how to invest yourself, get a sip and start doing it yourself and minimise those charges. Got it. But you're not going to do that, are you? You're no, just going to get go... someone else to do it. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might. Too right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I've got other stuff to do as well, Glenn. I've got other pensions knocking around and I worry about previous employers that I know I've got a pension with them. What if, what if you don't have that piece of paper like years down the line when I retire? I think, I've got a pension with you, but I lost the piece of paper. That's true. I what mean, do you do? people move around yeah. a lot from employer to employer these days. They get all these different little pensions at different places. Mm. Overall, they can add up to a significant amount. But let's say you just keep moving uh, address and you don't tell your previous employers where you've moved to. Sure. Or say you even moved to another country. They can't necessarily track you down when it's time for you to retire and give you the money that they owe you. So that's an important lesson then. You should inform your previous employers if you're moving address so they can keep tabs on you and know when you're... Well, it's your you money, are. isn't it? If you don't want to lose it, then yeah. you've, got to, you've got to stay in touch with where your money is. I'm just going to make a mental note of that because I actually haven't done that. <laughs> Seriously. You don't want someone else <sighs> living high on your hog. Thank goodness for managing my money. That's all I've got to say. It's been your saviour, I think. You're a different woman. I am. So, Glenn, say I've done all that, I've sorted out my pensions, and now this is it. I'm on my way to retirement. How do I get my hands on the cash? Well, there have been quite a few rule changes on this. Mm. So who knows exactly what the situation will be when you're ready to retire. I'm so young now. I mean, it's, so it's literally, young. by the time you're ready to retire, really? you'll be walking on the moon. I will. I'll live on the moon. You probably will. Mortgage free. Exactly. Don't, when you move to the moon, yeah. don't forget to tell your previous employers <laughs> oh, about, my pension. about your new address on the yeah. moon. It's a really good tip. We don't know what's going to happen, but generally governments have been moving towards giving you more options and more control over your money. For example, at the moment, you can now take a tax-free chunk out of your pension long before the usual retirement age. And you can then decide whether to just grab all the rest of your pension cash paying tax on it though as you take it out or put it in an income paying instrument like an annuity which is what people always used to do but now don't have to do the idea of an annuity is you hand over the cash and they guarantee to pay you a set amount each year until you die and usually that would take account of inflation well not always sometimes it would sometimes it wouldn't you've got to be careful what kind of annuity you get okay Well, that sounds like a more secure option then, but I quite like the idea of having all the cash in one go before you retire. That sounds amazing. Well, the government has given people the freedom to have their cash. What if you just suddenly get all excited about your money? You get all starry-eyed and start spending it all. You could go off and buy a Ferrari. Or you might want to go, like the pennies in a previous episode, on a triple cruise. That was the extra expensive cruise where the cabaret entertainers were Tom Cruise and Penelope Penelope Cruise. Cruise. Yeah, yeah. I could decide to do that as well. So, and yeah, I can see that that is risky, but so tempting. It is tempting. What's worrying, you see... Because this is a new sort of untried and untested scenario, we don't really know whether people are going to start blowing Mm. their cash on a big scale 
obviously there'll be news reports that start talking about the odd person who does that. But would people do it on a big scale? Would they start running out of money? For example, will people start spending too much of the money because they think, oh, I'm not going to live until I'm 95. (laughs) But they don't realise that people are living longer and longer and they may well live into their hundreds. They'll run out of money. And of course, who ends up paying for them when they run out of their money? Old Muggins, the taxpayer. That's who. Oh, dear. I tell you my favourite option of all. Go on. I shouldn't be partial in this way, but I do have a favourite option. And that's because it's the option I've chosen for my life. So I have to say it's the best option. And that is ISAs. Start before you put your money in a pension. Take a look at Gordon Brown's invention. ISAs, getting nicer and nicer. Keep your money safer and a little bit of spicer. Shelter, all your cash from the tax man. Live back and relax with a nice cup of Latsan. If you've got a problem, you'll all solve it. Check out rates and we'll soon resolve it. ISA, ISA, baby. Yeah, treat it ISAs as a retirement vehicle. Because an ISA is just a tax shelter in the same way that, say, a SIP is a tax shelter. What does it stand for again? ISA stands for Individual Savings Account. Got it. So the idea is, rather like SIPs, that you just shelter your money from taxation to some extent Mm. while building up the money inside this wrapper and then one day it's yours to spend. Though the difference with an ISA, of course, is that you don't have to wait until you retire or until whenever the government tells you you can take some of it out because you can take some of it out any time. And if you're disciplined, like me, if you have an iron will, then you can just keep it in there. I've never withdrawn a penny from my ISAs. Glenn and your iron will. (laughs) Now, we've talked a bit about ISAs in the past. You need to remember the main differences between cash ISAs and stocks and shares ISAs. Though, again, they keep changing the rules. They put your money into cash ISA, which is basically a bank account where the interest is tax-free, or you put it into stocks and shares where the capital gain is tax-free so that when you eventually withdraw all that money from the ISA, you don't have to pay tax on the amount of gain in the value of your shares and investments and so on. Okay, so that any money you make is tax-free. That's what's so good about an ISA. Ooh! Though, of course, capital gains tax is not payable on your entire gain anyway. Generally, each year, there's several thousand pounds you can get in capital gain without actually having to pay tax. But of course, when you retire, you might be taking out quite large chunks of money at mm. a time. And if you if that money wasn't saved in an ISA, then you'd have to pay capital gains tax on the money you were taking out. That's why you need an ISA. So is capital gains just another word for profit, really? So any profit you make? Yes, any profit that you make on the growth in the investments. So we're not talking about the dividends and so on, which is an income stream from your investment. We're talking Mm. about, say, if you had a bunch of shares in an ISA and those shares were suddenly worth a lot more than they were when you bought them. That would be your capital gain. I've got it, Glenn. I've got it. Mm -hmm. So that's quite a good investment vehicle. But as I say, it does require a lot of discipline because nobody's holding your hand and saying, right, we're going to invest the money in this fund or that share. But nonetheless, you can still, of course, invest in funds as opposed to individual shares. And those funds are run by fund managers who will invest the money, hopefully wisely, on your behalf in a variety of investments. And aren't there fees to look out for as well with um, stocks and shares ISAs? There are fees if you invest your money in funds of pretty much any kind. There are always going to be charges and fees for 
the people who manage them. But if you're investing your money within an ISA into individual shares, basically just buying some shares, then there aren't fees other than the stamp duty and the charge that they give you, which is probably only £10 or so for buying the share in the first place. Say I'm rubbish at stocks and shares and I would get someone to do it on my behalf, Mm. then that would incur a fee, wouldn't it? Any time you get somebody else to do stuff for you, you're going to have to pay them for it. They ain't going to do it for free. That's a great point, whether it's plumbing or ISAs. Exactly. I see why you've gone for your own option and you've gone for ISAs. I'm not going to lie to you, though, not Annie. good at discipline. I'm not going to lie to you. Not only does it take discipline, it takes a lot of work. Like I say, it's not for everybody, the self-service option. You might want to go the full board route. But it's good to know that there are lots of different options available. There are so many options. Mm. Well, do you know what? What? I think we've come to the end of this episode. Get out of town. Don't forget, though, to head to the Share Radio website, because now we're at the end of episode 14. It's time for you to answer those quiz questions and get further towards that certificate. There are pensiony questions, but I think you can answer them now. Of course you can. So next episode, we're moving straight from pensions to the even more exciting world of insurance. Oh, insurance. Oh, Ooh, yes. I can't wait for that. I know. What kind of insurance? House insurance, pet insurance, travel insurance. Car insurance. Car insurance. Anything else? Life insurance. Life insurance. There's so many insurances. Me and you, we're going to insure ourselves silly. Yeah. So don't forget to join us for the next episode then where we're going to get stuck right into insurance. Just in there. See you next time. See ya. Whee!